It wasn't too long ago that Rick Stream came very close to becoming St. Louis County Executive. Now he's setting his sights on a state Senate seat in central and southern St. Louis County. The Republican from Kirkwood joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight seven, six, six five, five four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. I say, hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. It's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in our studios in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. And returning to our show for the third or fourth time, it's disputed right now, (laughs) uh, we have as our special guest today... Rick Stream. A a former state representative from Kirkwood and a candidate for the 15th District State Senate seat. That's correct. Um, And the man who almost became the first Republican county executive in St. Louis County for over 24 years. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about that in the Senate race uh, in a minute. But um, just for our listeners, if you're hearing this, we are recording the candidates for the 15th District Senate race um, ahead of time. All of them have been recorded separately and none of them will be able to hear what they others have to say. Um, we want to give basically the 15th district residents the best uh, view of candidates as possible because this this is probably one of the more competitive state Senate primaries before August 2nd. To, just just tell us our, our listeners where, what the boundaries of the 15th district is. Right. It's uh, it's kind of a rectangular district. Uh, the northeast corner is in Glendale and Kirkwood, and it stretches along Manchester Road uh, all the way out to Clarkson Road. It goes north of Manchester in a couple places, uh, De Pere, Baldwin, and out in Clarkson Valley. And then it goes down south um, to the county line, uh, and it runs across that straight portion of the St. Louis County line between St. Louis and Franklin County. And then when that straight line ends, it dips down to 55 uh, and the eastern border is roughly uh, just a little bit east of Lindbergh Boulevard. So uh, it doesn't go below south of uh, 55, and it's pretty much uh, Lindbergh to Clarkson, east and west, and uh, Manchester Road on the north. So it's a huge block of central and southwest St. Louis County. That's correct. And, and But Kirkwood is one of the population centers. And before redistricting, I believe Kirkwood and Webster Groves was in this district or parts yes. of Webster Groves? Uh, prior to the redistricting for the 2012 election, uh, actually the 15th district stretched from the city limits, St. Louis city limits, uh, right. out to 141. And again, it was a rectangular-shaped t- district. So uh, it went from a pretty much of a 50-50 district then to a, a more – a Republican district. Yeah. So um, for our listeners who haven't heard the first couple of shows, you spent four terms in the Missouri House. You were the House budget chairman. And um, you decided in 2014 as term limits hit to run for St. Louis County executive. And it was a, it was a decision that I'm sure at the time, like I'm sure you thought you got in because you thought you had a competitive chance. But a whole lot of things happened to where you were a much more formidable candidate than a lot of people expected. I want to just have you kind of give your reflections on that race and in your thoughts about um, the results and, and why you think the results turned out that way. Sure. It was a, it was a very um, exciting time in my life and my family's life, actually, because it's something that I certainly never dreamed of doing. Uh, people came to, to me in early 2014 and asked if I would consider running. I wasn't the only person they were looking at. But um, 
They thought that I uh, could uh, run a competitive race, that I had the background in leadership and management of budgets uh, to, to be competitive and to actually do the job. That was the reason uh, that both my wife and I thought that, that we should get into the race, too, because it's a family decision. And my wife said she thought that I was uh, had been training for that job for my entire adult life, which is how long she's known me. We've been married 40 years now. So I was... Um, uh, I had a great time, to be honest with you. I worked uh, every day, uh, 16, 18-hour days. Uh, I was all over the county every day, uh, in North County every day, meeting with people who, frankly, hadn't met with uh, much at all uh, other than in the legislature. So I, I was able to get a, a very good um, perspective on the uh, people of St. Louis County and what they were looking for in a chief executive of the county. Of course, I ran on the three things I was running on were um, similar to what I'm running on now, and that is jobs, economic development. Everybody wants a job. They want to be able to take care of their families, their communities, and their schools. Uh, they want uh, to have good education for their kids. And for most of the school districts in St. Louis County, that's not a problem. But in some North County districts, that is a problem. So education was a big deal. And I also said that I wanted to, to run a com competent, professional, honest government in Clayton. Um, so those three issues, when I spoke anywhere in the county, north, south, west, central, everybody liked those. They resonated with the people. The one issue, of course, that was the divide of the, the county was the police issue. Right. I mean, just so our listeners know, without getting into too much detail, um, your candidacy and that of Steve Stanger and then County Executive Charlie Dooley uh, was thrown into the air, so to speak, with the um, death of Michael Brown, the police shooting in Ferguson, and all the unrest that erupted after that. Bottom line is uh, Steve Stanger on the Democratic side, Steve Stanger, who's a county councilman, defeated Charlie Dooley in the Democratic primary. You were the Republican nominee. Then those next few months, some African-American officials who normally would have been who, with whoever the Democratic nominee was were upset with Stanger for various reasons, And but some of them were upset that Dooley had been challenged. But in any case, and some of them felt that Stanger hadn't handled the, the Ferguson stuff well. The bottom line is that they came to you. And so you got ended up getting some endorsements that Republicans in the county don't generally get. So what was your reaction when that happened, and what do you think it added to your campaign? Well, first of all, um, I went into the, um, the the primary and then the, the general election assuming that I was going to get some support from the African-American community because of my work in the legislature with that group of folks. I mean, uh, so... I. I didn't know how much I was going to get. If Obviously, if Charlie Dooley had won the primary, I wouldn't have gotten nearly as much. I did end up getting about 26% of the African-American vote. But I did get a lot of public officials, about 30 to 35, who met with me, and uh, we talked about the various issues, and then they endorsed me. It was part of the Fannie Lou Hamer coalition. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they came out and endorsed me, and that was a big, uh, it was a big factor in how well I did in North County, certainly. Um, but it was because of the work that I had done in the legislature and my work in, in my hometown in Meacham Park, uh, where I've been a volunteer for 20 years, too. So I have a long history in the African-American community as a volunteer and in the legislature. And I think that was what drove uh, a lot of the support in the African-American community for me. Well, how did that whole experience influence you then as far as running now for the state Senate, which 
the district does not take in a lot of that area. But so I'm just interested and, in what lessons. And by the way, I don't think we mentioned this because, but it is kind of implied. You lost by maybe a half of a percentage point. It half was a, a very, percent. It was a yeah. very close race. But continue. Two, two votes per precinct if you're counting. Oh. Well. <laughs> is there anything you think you could have done differently? Sure. When you lose by that close of a margin, you begin to look at every little thing you did. Did you? And, uh, yeah. Did you find it was kind of? Um, I don't want to say odd, but Stanger attacked you basically on your record on guns and abortion and other things that don't directly have a nexus with the county executive office. I'm sure you were expecting that because you do have a legislative record. And that, I mean, anytime someone with a legislative record runs for something, I mean, it should be expected that that's attacked. But were you expecting it would be on that front? I I was expecting the attacks, of course. It's, it comes with the territory. Um, I didn't expect it to continue, to, that to be his entire campaign. Um, he, he didn't run on anything he's done. He ran against me as too extreme, too conservative, much too conservative for St. Louis County. Claire McCaskill jumped in and said I was too extreme for the county. And I pointed out, I said, you know, I represent a district that, was, uh, that Barack Obama carried twice. And I, w- I was elected eight times in that the district for four for school board and four for state rep. So the only thing I was extreme about, I was, I was extremely qualified to do the job. But um, I expected the attacks. Um, and I think that uh, what that did for the race was it, it allowed me to talk about my leadership experience, that I was commissioned a naval officer the year that Steve Stenger was born. So I had 42 years of leadership and management experience with budgets with Democrats, with the African-American community, I thought that I really had the experience and the job resume to do the job well, and I, I still do. So to go to Joe's question again, how does that how does that prepare you for this, this race right now? Sure. Well, I think any time uh, you uh, are able to run in a large area like I did in St. Louis County and meet so many different people, people that you normally might not come in contact with, certainly in the political arena, um, it broadens your perspective on a lot of issues. And it certainly opened my eyes uh, on policing issues, for instance, which I think is still a factor in the legislature. Eric Schmidt has filed a couple of bills, of course. Um, he used a lot of the information that I was getting in that campaign two years ago about uh, Max Creek law and the excessive ticketing and the fact that people were going to jail who couldn't pay their traffic tickets, things like that which I had brought up in the, in the campaign two years ago and I think moved uh, into the legislative uh, action f- the following year. I think, in answer to your question, Joe, I think that uh, what I gained in that campaign two years ago was, uh, was a good perspective of uh, how to work with people who I normally wouldn't agree with on a lot of issues to get along to, and to bring people together to, to solve common, uh, so, you know, come up with common uh, solutions to problems that normally you might not even want to talk to people about. So, uh, but I had basically, to be honest with you, that was an off, that was a follow on to what I, how I'd run the budget committee in the, in the legislature, because I was very open. Anybody could walk into my office at any time. I was usually in my office till midnight every night anyway. Not many people came in at midnight, but uh, some did. And I would always, <laughs> um, I would always be, have an open door and people could, could talk to me about their issues. And I would say, well, look, I'll see what I can do. I can't promise anything, but I, I think we can work on, on – we can get maybe some of it, but not all of it. And this, <clears throat> frankly, uh, it was, happened more with Democrats because the majority party is generally in the budget is getting what they want. Uh, 
based on our ideals and ideology. But it was the, the opposition party that needed to come in. And, and I, I worked with a lot of different people. And I was in that leadership role, I think, which sets me apart from, you know, my opponent in the primary here. I've, I've been a leader for all of these years. And I've been a leader in the legislature. And I've gotten things done. The education reform bill. Tim Jones, Speaker of the House, said there was only one person in the legislature that could have passed that education reform bill through the House, and that was Rick Stream. He said, he told me, he said, Rick, you're the, you've got the credibility, the professionalism, the respect of the caucus members. A very difficult bill like that uh, could only be, have been done by, some, by you. And he said, I know you're doing the budget, too, but we need you to pass this education reform bill. So that's the type of leadership I hope to bring to the Senate, uh, whether I'm on the Appropriations Committee or in other areas. Certainly um, the ability to work with people, uh, not compromising my principles, of course, because I am a Republican, I am a conservative, but I've discovered that we agree, most of us agree on a lot more things than we disagree on. Now, but in this contest, whereas when you're running for county executive, you had some Democrats complaining, you know, con- trying to frame you as too conservative, right. this and that. Now you're running in a generally probably safe Republican district. Some of the opposition is trying to cast you as not conservative enough. Uh, so I'm, and in part, you know, citing, you know, what some of your conciliatory comments and so forth in, in your county executive's race. So are you having to pivot or, I mean, just how do you deal with the fact that now you're being painted by some as not conservative enough? Well, you know, you um, if you're true to your beliefs and you don't change, I'm not a chameleon. I don't uh, change based on which campaign I'm running in. Um, I uh, I just con- I am consistent, and I I explain to people, you know, who I am and how I've governed, how I voted, and what I want to do, and that's that's not going to change. I I am a conservative. I've always been pro-life. I've always been pro-Second Amendment. I've always been very pro-business, um, and I think those issues are issues that will resonate with most people, no matter whether it's a Republican district or middle-of-the-road district. Now, of course, it's in the primary. So the primary, you tend to have sometimes unusual turnout on both parties. Sure. Kind of how do you see things and how are you uh, preparing for these final six weeks, your final six-week sprint? Well, we're doing a lot of uh, door-to-door, and the door I have to say the door-to-door response has been very, very, very good. Uh, people remember me from two years ago, and they're, uh, they're very positive about that response. Uh, so we're, we're getting a good response at the doors. We're doing um, a lot. We're going to be doing – we've already filmed commercials. We'll be doing that. We're, uh, we've got mailers that are going to be going out. Are you, are you going to be doing broadcast and cable, just cable? Probably just cable okay. at this point in time. The county race, we did it differently, but this race, it's we'll focus in on the uh, areas that uh, that the cable serves. We can do that by zip code. Correct. Yeah. So uh, One of the things I noticed is your opponent, Andrew Koenig, got a lot of money from David Humphreys, who's a big proponent of so-called right to work, which right. would allow somebody who is in an entity that has voted to unionize not to pay dues if it's a condition of employment. Did I actually get that correct, Joe? Did I describe More that or less, correct? yeah. I, I always <laughs> fail to describe that correctly. And I, I would have to imagine, I haven't talked to David Humphreys, but you, there was a time when Right to Work came up to a vote and you decided not to vote on it. So I'm sure that that played into that type of decision, and it's probably caused your opponent to have a lot more money to spend. I want you to just kind of explain 
your position on that and why you didn't vote on that the first time. Right. I, as I said before, I'm very, very pro-business because I think that's the answer to a lot of our problems. We need to have jobs created, whether it's by small, medium, or large uh, businesses. And we need to create an environment that uh, business can can start and, and grow in. So uh, I've al- always been pro-right to work. I've always been uh, for businesses being able to, to uh, operate that way. And I think right to work would be good for Missouri because uh, it will bring – I think it'll bring a lot of jobs into Missouri. A lot of the states around us other than Illinois already have right to work. So I think it'll be a very good thing uh, for the state. And I've, as I told uh, some union people two years ago, uh, I said, look, I'm for right to work uh, because I think it'll bring a lot of jobs in. And a lot of those jobs could be union jobs that, that you all would benefit from. So uh, to go back to the the vote. Why do you think it would bring – I mean, this is one thing. I, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate sure. here. Um, why do and why do you think it would bring in jobs? Now, of course, you have the labor who who says, "Well, it's going to bring in low-paying jobs." I don't know, but my question is: when when uh, right-to-work proponents say that, what are they basing that on? Well, I think they're basing it on the fact that states that have, that do have right-to-work have really grown dramatically in job creation. A lot of the big companies, uh, manufacturing companies, auto companies. Uh, only go to right-to-work states now. They don't want to mess around with the unions, okay? The unions are not bad. It's just that they, they're an, an extra cost for the, for the, uh, the manufacturer, the business person. So I think that's the reason. Big, there, I don't think a single auto plant has relocated into a non-right-to-work state. I think they're all going to right-to-work states. So if we could get another couple of auto plants like we used to have here years ago, I think that would be a benefit for... And then, Maybe not those jobs would be union, but a lot of the other jobs that, that supply the uh, auto plant would be union. So can you explain your vote? You were sure. about, to t- about to say that. Right. Or your lack of vote, basically. Right. I, I just uh, – I didn't vote on it. Um, uh, the reason I didn't was because um, I was – obviously, this is in May of 2014. Correct. I was already in the county executive race. Right. Um, and we were uh, – virtually every Republican in leadership – in the House and the Senate and across the state uh, was advising me not to vote on that bill because they felt that it would uh, – they knew I would vote for right to work. And they said this – that will kill you in the county exec race. And they, uh, so the assumption is they knew they didn't have the votes anyway. So it was like well, don't was, throw your vote. I mean am I am – I That's pick? correct. You are correct. The Senate was not going – it could have passed – Barely in the House, I, I'm guessing, although it was touch and go. Yeah. But the Senate, and these were senators who were definitely for right to work, telling me, Rick, don't vote on that bill. We, were not, we are not going to get it through the Senate. These are people who wanted it to pass through the Senate, but they said, for your own political race this year, in 2014, don't vote on this bill. I, it, was the, it was the hardest thing for me to do because I had never, ever taken a walk on a vote before. I remember years. hunting you down because yeah. <laughs> I was in the I was in Jeff City that day. Go, yeah. go ahead. So I uh, it was a very difficult decision, but I went along with the advice of virtually every elected Republican who was who thought felt that I had a good chance of winning this race, the county exec race. All right, en- enough kind of nostalgia sure. there for a second. The more important thing is, right. is there is a Republican governor, and right to work could become law of the land. Sure. April, May of 2017. So if it comes through the pipeline and you're in the Senate and Ron Richard or somebody else puts a previous question down and says, you know, 
you know, asking basically you or anybody else to sign that previous question. Would you sign that previous question? Would you vote for it? Well, I would vote for right to work. Mm-hmm. Um, now, calling for the PQ, the previous question, um, you know, I'm <clears throat> I'm kind of old school on the Senate uh, because I've I knew the senators that served me years ago, Walt Mueller and, and right. of course, Mike Gibbons and now Eric Schmidt. And they they have always said the Senate is different from the House. Uh, we need to uh, take things a little more slowly and see if we can uh, get to some agreement in the Senate without having to call for the previous question every time. I don't know how I would vote on the PQ in that particular case. You need um, five. Well, you need five people to sign it so the okay. previous question is voted on. Then you need 18. 18 right, now, now just so our it. listeners know, previous question, bottom line is it ends debate. Ends the yeah. filibuster. And, ends the filibuster. And, and frankly, under this scenario, I don't think your vote would necessarily be needed to PQ it Probably because not. I think it's already been PQ'd with a couple of people saying no. The bigger question would be then, would you vote for it? Yes. Because under that scenario, it would probably become law. And if there's a Democratic governor, though, it also becomes more important because you would need that extra vote sure. to override, override a veto. A veto. Right. I, I would definitely vote to uh, to pass right to work. I, I can, without equivocation, say that. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just so listeners know, history lesson here, Congress does not have, I mean, the Senate, in the U.S. Senate does not have a PQ because Aaron Burr took it out of the rules before he went and shot Alexander <laughs> oh, Hamilton. Well, I knew you were going to bring up the Hamilton reference. So let's, let's talk about <laughs> 200 years ago. Yeah. Holy cow. Well, hey, it's still the evidence, but they have never put it back in since. He, so, was, he was vice president at the time and overseeing the Senate. He took it out of the rules. So uh, going into education for a second, sure. you did handle the school transfer bill, which got vetoed a couple of times. The first time it was vetoed because this is my theory, Joe, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong. In 2008, when he was running for governor, Jay Nixon, who was attorney general, drew a pretty hard line in the sand. If there was any bill that had anything that he determined was a quote-unquote voucher component, he was going to veto it. That particular bill in 2014, if I'm not mistaken, that was the year, had a provision that would allow people in unaccredited districts to transfer to non-sectarian private schools. It made it through the legislature, and true to his word, Nixon vetoed it, and there wasn't enough to override it. Now, I, I, my question is kind of twofold. The, the transfer issue is still kind of unresolved because they didn't end up passing anything, although I think the attention on it has died down a little bit. Would that be something that you would take um, a big interest in in the Senate? And, and two, do you think it was a mistake to include that, that transfer component with the non-sectarian private mm-hmm. schools? Because it, it probably would have almost guaranteed it would have been vetoed. Sure. Uh, you know, um, when people ask me why I'm running, I say I, I want to improve the quality of life for the people of mm-hmm. the state of Missouri and St. Louis County and, you know, make it better for people where they live and work and play and go to school. And in most, as I said before, most school districts in St. Louis County are fine. They're doing a great job of educating their kids. But the ones that aren't need to be addressed. And I went into the legislature 10 years ago as a strong, you know, education establishment person, school board in Kirkwood, you know, believing that the education uh, establishment in place could solve these problems. I discovered that in many cases it doesn't solve the problems, and they kick the can down the road. And meanwhile, kids are being graduated from these failing schools without knowing how to read and doing other things uh, educationally. So uh, I began to see that uh, if we were going to solve this problem and give kids access to a high-quality education, and the school district, the public school district, couldn't do it. Uh, in this case, it was Normandy. 
and Riverview Gardens that some other options had to be available for these kids. Now, we worked with inner city legislators on this in the House and the Senate. Um, you know, and they they wanted these options. They wanted the kids to have chances to get out of these failing schools. Uh, yeah, we knew that we were taking a chance with Jay Nixon going to veto it. And we knew that the, the Senate would probably be able to override it, which they did. But the House, uh, we only got 93 votes. Yes, mm-hmm. I remember that. Which is 11 more than we needed to pass it, but it was we needed 109 to override. But I still believe that was the right thing to do because uh, – the school districts themselves were not improving. And meanwhile, class after class after class is going through that school district, and these kids are not being educated. And the bottom line is that we know if a child is not reading at grade level by the end of third grade, we can start planning prison beds for them. And in Missouri, we spent $800 million on prisons, and 53% of the inmates, this is about five years ago, came from three school districts, St. Louis, Kansas City, and Wellston, which is now part of Normandy. Normandy was provisionally accredited, going downhill for 20 years, and nobody did anything to help them to change the, the culture. And I think that's a failure of the education establishment. And when I say that, I'm talking about the state school board, the Department of Elementary Secondary Education, the Missouri School Board Association, school administrators associations, and the teachers' unions, and, of course, the local communities. They're not doing the job to get these kids educated properly, and we're paying dearly as a society for kids who are not educated. Now, I'm just, I'm just wondering, because this hasn't been talked a lot about in the gubernatorial campaign, but... And I would have to ask this to Attorney General Coster personally, but I'm not really sure he's drawn that hard line in the sand. And I wouldn't I'm I'm not really convinced he would have vetoed that transfer bill if he was governor. I'm actually convinced he might have signed it. So do you think that there might be more success, regardless of who the next governor is, of, of making headway on that issue? There may be. I'm going to continue to try um, on that front because I think it's an important issue. If we don't have our kids, all of our kids, being educated, having access to good quality education, it's up to them and their parents to take advantage of the of the good education. But if we're not providing it to them, we're failing as a society. Now, if you're in the Senate, if you're in the Senate, um, am I right in assuming that education would be one of your key issues or other issues? But my bottom line is, what would be your key issues and what would you be trying to advance? Sure. I th- my f- number one priority is jobs, economic development, uh, because uh, we that's the lifeblood of a community. If people are not working, and this was the same thing I said two years ago, if people are not working, then they have no hope. And so we need to, get, we need to bring jobs back to Missouri, back to this area uh, somehow, uh, create a climate where business can grow and, uh, and start. Uh, we've got a lot of great young people uh, who are coming out of school, and they're ready to be entrepreneurs. And it's very difficult. I've talked to many small business people in my community and across the county. My two ch- adult children are small business owners. Six of my seven siblings are, are small business owners and operators. So I, I hear about these problems that that are facing small business owners constantly, and we need to reduce the uh, the rules and restrictions that are crippling the growth of small business. So jobs, 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 that's number one for me. But um, in the Senate, you have to do more than just one thing. So obviously education is another issue that I'll be certainly working on. I'll be on, hopefully be on the Appropriations Committee, so I'll be working with the budget. You can do a lot of things in the budget to help in some of these areas where 
um, our communities are, are struggling. You can start uh, do some trial programs like I did in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, uh, for instance, men coming out of prison. We started a, did a funded a program for one year just to see how it worked, and it worked pretty well. And so we funded it again for one more year. Uh, so, you know. There are a lot of things we can do in the budget that will make a difference in, in our society, and I think we have to be careful. The other thing I did in the budget, of course, so as I, uh, we cut the state bureaucracy by 10%, state workforce, from 60,000 to 54,000. In my last year in, I put another 1% cut. So I think you know, it's up to the, the politicians, the elected officials, to go in and look at the bureaucracy of a state or county or city or federal government and see if we can reduce. Now, since you left the um, House, mm-hmm. uh, one of the big issues that's come up is the whole, uh, the Mizzou protests, how how to deal with the Mizzou budget, how to deal with the higher education budget. Mm-hmm. And and it's even become a big issue in the governor's race, which with um, Ken, uh, Lieutenant Governor Kinder in particular decrying some of the protests that went on at Mizzou. If you're in the Senate, and if you're on the Appropriations Committee, how are you going to deal with some of these? I mean, do you see the, some of these things as impacting the state budget? Uh, this did come up last year in a big way. I'm just interested in how you would approach sure. all that. Well, you know, when you have the budget, uh, you do have control. I mean, you, you, can make, you can make some impact on policy as well as behavior. Uh, I think there were certain things that um, went on at Mizzou. Unfortunately, it was a small, small group of people. Uh, I've talked to many students down at Mizzou, and they, they hardly even knew what was going on. They, they were not associated with it at all, black and white students, by the way. So uh, unfortunately, but that became kind of the centerpiece. The narrative. The narrative for, the, uh, for the, the largest campus in the state for us, and it's a black eye. Uh, I think they should have um, fired Melissa Click immediately. There was no, you know, her behavior was completely unprofessional and unconscionable. Um, but when you have a situation where you've got the, the board of curators um, who are managing the university, I mean, they, they need to take action on things like that. A lot of the problems in our state, like with education, they don't necessarily require the state legislature to take action if the people in charge are actually doing their work. If the education people had been doing their job, we never would have gotten involved with a bill to try to transfer kids if they had actually started working with Normandy 20 years earlier. Same thing here with Mizzou. The Board of Curators should have dealt with that immediately. The legislature would never have been involved. Do, do you think then, um, on particularly the Mizzou issue, um, you know, when I went to the University of Missouri, Columbia in the, two, in the 2000s, the early to mid-2000s, th- there were racial tensions on campus. There were, there were black students who felt that they weren't being treated well, not only by the school, but by other white students. And the question that I've been posing to either legislators or prospective legislators is, is there anything the legislature can do to make that environment better? Or do you think that it's just the responsibility of the people that are actually running the university to make sure that environment is good for for African-American students? You know, um, this is kind of an offshoot of my campaign two years ago where I was in North County every day. Uh, talking to people about the, the issues that, that are different in many cases from the white community. Um, so I, I have a perspective now, and I think the answer, Jason, is that um, ideally these issues are dealt with at the local level, at the university. But the, the legislature has oversight responsibility. 
And we have hearings. Um, and I've many times as the budget chair and vice chairman, I would call in the university presidents to talk about various issues. Now, this was not one of them because it wasn't going on. But I would ask them about other issues. And I said, what are you doing to deal with this? So we have oversight. And a lot of times if you just oversee what's going on and you let them know we're watching and we want to have some answers, then they'll, they'll deal with the problems directly and hopefully come up with a good solution. So let's talk a little bit about the campaign going sure. forward. Um, as, as we've said before, you're running against State Representative Andrew Koenig, a Republican from Manchester in the Republican primary. There's also a Democratic primary going on as well. Um, both of you will basically have served four terms in the legislature. You termed out, I think, earlier than he's terming out. Right. So if if I'm a 15th district resident, which I'm not, I'm a fourth district resident, and I <laughs> won't have a senator soon, what would be kind of your pitch to Republicans that they should vote for you instead of your opponent? I would say this. Um, I'm obviously a Republican, a conservative. I've been that way all my life. Uh, I voted that way. Uh, and uh, I think the difference is that I've been a leader um, almost all of my adult life, starting as, an, uh, as a naval officer, Back in 1971, I was a budget and project manager uh, for the Department of Defense, um, and I was uh, chairman of several committees in the House, including the, the very powerful Budget Committee. Um, I carried the education bill. Uh, I I'm able to work with a wide range of people to, to, get, um, to come to good solutions uh, to improve the quality of life for the people of the state, and that's, I think that's the big difference. Now, um as you're looking towards this contest, uh, do you see? And you mentioned that you probably will be running some cable ads and doing sure. some other things. Is there any particular issue that defines the differences between you and Representative Koenig? You know, I think the leadership issue again is what we're doing. We're, we're all of our ads are positive about me, just about just like they were in the county exec, just who I am and what I've done and what I want to do uh, for the people. So um, I, I view public services, you know. Uh, I serve the public, not the other way around. So uh, it's what can I do to help them improve their lives? Now, if you end up being the Republican nominee, you will have to face a Democratic opponent. As, as Joe mentioned before, it's a pretty solidly Republican seat. But we are living in the age of Donald Trump, who, right. you know, Joe and I have gone back and forth on this. Right now, I don't see any evidence that Donald Trump is going to lose Missouri, but I saw a poll today saying that he's going to only get 32 percent of the national vote, which would be the lowest in modern history for a popular vote getter. Mm -hmm. So how do you think the presidential election will impact the, the general election for you if you are the nominee? It is an unusual year. There's no question about it. Uh, none of us, I, I think, have, have the answer to that question. Uh, I've seen polls where he's 11 points ahead in Missouri. Right. So, uh, but that's, you know, that may be out in strictly in the rural areas in St. Louis County, maybe a little different. Uh, I'm just going to run my race. I mean, I can't, uh, I can't um, try to defend or not defend other people, whether it's Trump or Hillary or anything like that. I've just got to run my race. And um, if people, I think Missourians and St. Louis Countyans are very smart people. They'll split their tickets if they have to. Now, do you have any plans to go to Cleveland for the Republican National Convention? I am uh, not going. I have a. a, a a wedding uh, nephew's being uh, getting married, and I can't go to Cleveland. So. Well, how how convenient, yeah. uh, fortuitous. I, 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 fortuitous <laughs> that it could be another word. Now, is there anything that you think that your party should be doing? I mean, as you know, um, I mean, I was at the state convention a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. and I know there's still some splits between the people who had backed 
Ted Cruz, I mean, conservatives like yourself. Sure. And then, and, I mean, it, most, okay, th- there was no one, no one, in a major top Republican figure in the state who backed Trump publicly. Right. In fact, the three major Republicans that come to mind are Ed Martin, um, Michelle Colbert, who's a political consultant, and I think Phyllis Shafley, and, and that's it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. everybody else was either, was for, originally for Bush or Cruz <laughs> or Rubio, mm-hmm. I mean, wh- whatever. But my point being, if you end up in the Senate, you will be at least one of the Republican leaders. Um, are there things that the party needs to do differently as far as either appealing to voters or making sure that you have uh, broad consensus on who's running or encouraging other other people to run? I'm just interested in your take on this and whether or not this upheaval helps or hurt the state Democratic Party. I mean, Republican Party. That's a good question, um, and I don't have a— a great answer other than to say that um, the Republicans had a very deep bench, 17 people running. Right. And I think that actually helped Donald Trump uh, get through the early primaries because the other vote was split up. He was only getting 25 or 30 percent of the vote. Uh, But then he gradually got more and more percentage and, you know, he won the nomination. So he's he's the nominee. Now, he, you know, uh, I don't, again, that, the deep bench hasn't changed. We still have a lot of great governors and senators around the country as Republicans. I think we always, any party always needs to continually self-evaluate itself to see if they're reaching people. If Again, if they're solving problems for people, that's the problem. And I, I'm a firm believer in what Ronald Reagan said, that government is not the answer. Government's the problem. We need to get the government out of a lot of things instead of trying to pass bills to control people's lives. So the, so by your comments, my assumption is you wouldn't be in favor of expanding Medicaid. No, I've always spoken out against that. And, and why? Well, I think uh, for three reasons. Um, it's bad policy, uh, it's bad finance, and it's bad politics for us. Uh, the policy is I don't believe in putting more people on the welfare system. I believe in creating jobs so that people don't have to be on the welfare system. So. Um, Missouri has a very um, low threshold to get on the um, on the welfare system to get Medicaid. For for children, it's a great system. It's up right. to three hundred percent poverty level. So our kids are taken care of. That's the policy. I, I think expanding welfare rolls is a bad idea. Fiscally, it's a bad policy because eventually Missouri is going to have to pay a lot more money than initially uh, figured into that plan. And of course. When the federal government is spending $2 billion in Missouri, that's not free money either. That's our taxpayer dollars. And the third thing is Republicans, we campaigned against Medicaid expansion. And um, I'm not going to change. I don't change uh, unless there's some compelling reason, and there's no compelling reason to expand Medicaid. Well, that'll be an issue among many that we'll be following over the next few months and years to come. Thank you for coming back to our show. We'll be following Whoever wins your primary for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how would we follow you on Twitter? It's, uh, well, it's TeamRickStream.com is our website, so it's... Um, I think it's still Team, team Rickstream or something like that. Right, yeah. So follow the former representative on the interwebs. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. But you don't have to call me darling, darling, you never